Well, you know, I want to share with you um, this morning about attitudes, because that's really what I think Jesus in this passage of Scripture begins to focus on. Attitudes are really important. Your attitude can make a difference in your day. It can make a difference in the day of someone else. It, it can make a difference in your relationship with your spouse or your, your boyfriend, girlfriend, with your family, with your, the people you work with, you minister with, the people in your community, all different. Your attitude can actually create life. And it has an energy that allows for God to work in and through you and to allow for His Spirit to move. Or your attitude can actually be infectious and in small little ways begin to corrupt. And that corruption eventually begins to cause a death and it kills you know, some of you will know from a, a TV show, like a Debbie Downer, you know, the kind of person who comes in and, and they're standing around talking and, and that person, you know, they're having fun. The life is creating, the conversation is going, and all of a sudden that person steps in and their attitude just, everything sinks like an anchor. And, and I have to tell you, um, just like the pouring rain here, you hear outside? That's what happened so often in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus would move and, and there would be an attitude and there would be this sense of pride and this pride that was infectious that changed not just the heart but the hearts of a whole group of people so that when Jesus moved, he could hardly allow, that spirit could hardly work. It put a death. It tried to. Let's pray. Father, I would ask that you would take a moment now and, and help us to just focus in on our own personal attitudes. Take our eyes off someone else and, and, and forgive us for thinking, boy, boy, if that person next to me or this person I'm thinking about. God, direct our thoughts that we might hear your spirit speak to our own lives personally. And Father, I would ask that you would take these thoughts and the impressions of your spirit placed upon my heart as I have read your word and and. Would you, God, um, through this, speak to each and every person, each and every generation? We come before you in open hearts and ask for a willing spirit to receive you in Christ's name. Amen. It says in chapter 16, verse 5, which is where we're at right now, um, if you go back to Easter, that's when we've been in the, the study of Matthew and we... We talked about your life script in, in chapter 16, 1 through 4. We did this verses back in Easter. And this is really the backdrop of what happens here in chapter 5. So we start moving into what, an old, a new kind of thing here. Something happens at the end of verse 4. What happens is now you move into a place where you begin to, um, Jesus begins to give insight to people who really want to understand, who really want to see things in the Spirit. So if there's a shift that takes place. So in verse 5, it says, they went, When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they discussed this among themselves and said, is it because we didn't bring any bread? Is that why Jesus is talking about this? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, who, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls you gathered there? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? 
Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, to understand this, the context, the background, you have to go back to that verses 1 through 4 and understand what had just happened. Jesus had just showed up on the shore, and when he showed up on the shore, there were a bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees who were waiting for him. They had been a special group. As you read in Matthew, there have been regional accreditors. Well, these were the guys from Jerusalem, and they came together, two groups that were parties, one liberal, one very conservative, to the point of being fundamentalistic and, and kind of rabid liberals. These two Sadducee Pharisee groups are together bipartisan with a test asking for the credentials is this guy really the messiah what he has done he steps on shore he has been over in a gentile area where he has just fed four thousand people word has spread they know what's going on they've heard about the miracle so he stands there on the shore they look at him and they come to him and it says they came to test him they came to him and said we need for you to prove to us that you really have the credentials to be the messiah that you claim to be do something spectacular on demand. If you want to get the fullness of this message, just go to that Easter message. They were looking for a sign. They, they were not just looking for a sign. They were asking him to do something to prove himself. Think about that. And Jesus is taken back by their attitude. And he points out that they're really able to look at physical signs and understand what's going on. And in fact, uh, just like last night, they would have had the ability to see a wall cloud and go, boy, there's a big storm coming. They would have been pretty accurate. They had great physical senses and understanding and could do that. And Jesus says, you're great at that. But the one thing you can't seem to do, you don't seem to have the heart for, because there is an attitude of pride and arrogance, of judgment and criticism, of complaining and everything else, that that stands off and aloof and looks at the work of God, sees the move of the Spirit of God that He has been intending for years, as you've read through the prophets, through Moses, all the way through. You you have been looking at this. You see the movement of, of my Spirit spirit and you can't interpret that as god's act and work that you come to me and you say now prove to me with credentials and he goes to him and says basically i am not giving you my papers of credentials i am not going to hand over my license i am not going to prove to you by something spectacular and then he makes this statement matthew doesn't make it in the other gospels that matthew matthew says that jesus looks at him and goes i will give you only one sign And I'm not going to do it now. But it will be the sign of Jonah. And he leaves it a little bit vague. They knew about Jonah being three days in the earth and, you know, in the belly of a fish and and then um, coming to life and that whole thing. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. So at some point, you will know that who I am is who you've seen me to be. And if you want to, you can believe. You will be given a sign, not only you, but all people throughout all history in every place on this planet will have the ability to look at the Word of God, to be able to look at this and look at the evidence and, and study it and make a decision and say, this is the person that in this person God showed up in a unique way, manifested Himself, and this is a person who leads us into an encounter with the living God. And through this person, as I understand this person, as I follow this person, as I give my life to this person, it's not about getting an insurance someday that I'll be saved out here someday for eternity so I can live the way I want to now, but as I follow him day in and day out, I will move into eternity today for an eternity forever. And everyone who wants to come to know can know this God through Jesus. And so, their attitude marks Jesus deeply, 
profoundly. Mark says in chapter 8, verse 12, they came to test Jesus. They asked him for a sign from heaven. And it's the only, there's only a few places in Scripture where you get the deep emotions of Jesus. Here's one of them. He sighed deeply. You can almost hear the sigh. These controversies were beginning to weary him. This constant prove yourself to me God attitude was tiring. They had seen enough to believe. There were spiritual signs present for them to see that this pointed to a God and a God alone that they should know by all that they had studied. Their arrogance, their pride, their critical spirit, their judgmental attitude had reached the limit. And so when you read this passage of Scripture in Matthew, in verse 4, it's it's an incredible statement here. This is not just a closing to a little story. It is a profound break in the ministry of Jesus to people who have a spirit of pride. And in that spirit of pride comes a kind of teaching that is legalistic, that is all about man making his way to God. It's all about everything about the person who in their own self is present, not about the God who comes to people who in the emptying of themselves are filled by Him. And so he has this, 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 this movement in Scripture right here in verse 4 where it says that Jesus leaves. No longer is He going to contest and fight with this unwilling, this hardened heart that brings about a kind of teaching that begins to get followers around Him and them who reject the presence in the movement of God. And so... He says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 4, Jesus left them and went away. And those are decisive words, folks. There is a truth in the reality of, of God. He will always love you. He always comes in grace. He is a merciful God and He will contend with us for a time. But there is a time, if your heart remains hard and it remains frozen against Him, that He will actually withdraw His presence. And maybe by the withdrawing of His presence, you'll want Him and seek Him. But you may not. And so if something changes here, the words left them and went away are more than a line in a story. They're a critical statement of God's spirit in relation to the proud and the kind of teaching that happens. And Jesus doesn't turn away from the crowd at this point, but he does turn away from those who are religiously proud and should know better. I would think in our day it would be if Jesus came to churches and churches said, Hey, look, we really like the way things are. You're too radical for us. You're, you're doing some things that really are a little bizarre that we can't really handle. Well, on this boat ride... Jesus seems to be pondering in his heart this refusal of people to open their eyes to his presence and the signs and the works of his Holy Spirit. So in Matthew chapter 16, verse 5, it says when they went across the lake, or you could almost read it as they're going across the lake, would be, I think what's going on, the disciples, he, he adds editorial comment here, forgot to take bread. So that Jesus is pondering this, and he's thinking through this, he's concerned, he's troubled, he's aware how easily a person can be corrupted by certain attitudes, and like yeast, they can begin with a small measure, just a pinch of it, begin to infect and invade and eventually corrupt the whole heart, and eventually not just the heart, but a whole group of people, so that from it comes a kind of teaching in a way that is far from God. And so much so, it it is so uh, far from God, it can't even recognize, see, and understand the presence of God in their very midst. And so he says in verse 6, Be careful, 
Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So deep in thought, overcome with love and concern for his followers, like a parent to a child. He turns to his followers. And maybe he says it like this. Watch out. Live with your eyes wide open. Open your heart. There are attitudes, you guys. And you just were in the presence of them that are like yeast that can come in and corrupt and kill the spirit. There is a spirit that blinds the eyes of the heart from seeing, knowing, and experiencing the presence and power of God. You know, you can actually be in the very presence of God and not know it. With this kind of heart, he says, you can see powerful anointing of Jesus' power in your midst and even fail to treasure it. You can experience the work of God's spirit and not recognize it. Like yeast, a little pride, he says, goes a long way, and it is destructive. So there's some valuable lessons that I want us to think about here as we look at this little story. And they're really just warnings because Jesus says, beware. That word beware means watch out. It means open your eyes, live with your heart in such a way that it's soft. There is a kind of spirit that opens up your heart and your life and your whole being and the being of other people around you to the very presence and power and manifest signs of God's presence. There is a a, a spirit... A humble, childlike, open spirit that allows for you to come into the presence of this God and live in such a way that He can live through you. And so He says, warning, first, the first thing that I think I, I see in this story that He seems to indicate is that in order to not become blind, in order to be able to see the, the, the work and act of God around you, to invite that into your life, you need to see your own blindness. That's the very first thing. You need to recognize that spiritually, you in and of yourself are blind. Now, that seems kind of funny. If you want to see, you've got to admit something. You've got to admit you're blind. In fact, all of Scripture seems to indicate this. The Word of God seems to say our humanness traps us in a world that is blind to spiritual reality. We have great physical senses. We can focus on, on the physical realities. By nature, that comes easy to people. But what takes a supernatural infilling and work is the ability to see spiritual things. It's the ability for you to see that working around you in the lives of other people. So that when you see it, you begin to go, boy, God's at work in that person's heart. I need to pay attention, God, because you may have something for me to say to this person. And it's not about, oh, I've got to get really proud and really strong and I've got to get really trained so that I can share about Jesus. It's really a kind of life that sees the movement of God's Spirit working around you. And you go, boy, how do I enter into that? But if you, if you think that you can see it, if you, if you think it's something in yourself, that if you think because you had a lot of education, because you think that you have some gifts, because you think you're bright enough, because you think of a, um, that you've been born into a family that, and you've been in a church for a long time, that you're going to see that, it's not going to happen. It is a work of the Spirit. No person is bright enough, wise enough, gifted enough to understand and see the things of God that are, that are given by the Spirit. You're not physically born into it. You're not educated into it. You, you don't work to achieve it. God reveals. And that's what Jesus seems to say. He kind of looks at these guys and he goes, you've got to see your blindness, guys. You've got to come to the place to understand how much you need my spirit to open your eyes. It says in, 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 in Paul, the apostle says this in, his, in, in, in God's word, we do not speak in words taught by human wisdom, but in wisdom taught by the spirit. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from God, uh, the, the things that come from the spirit of God. 
For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You know, seeing your blindness is really a humbling thing. It it helps you have this humble attitude, this open childlike attitude, because you begin to understand, hey, I'm going to miss things if if I don't recognize the fact that I need God to help me see. You know, just imagine with me, disciples, can you imagine they get in the boat, they have just heard Jesus go, I'm not dealing with you guys. Guys, we're leaving. They understand in some way something significant's happening in here. They get in the boat. Jesus goes off the side. Because I think Jesus is just bothered and contemplating and just working through his heart. And he's praying for his disciples that they might understand the spirit that brings about the kind of teaching that just confronted him. That couldn't see the presence of God. And he's over here in the boat, probably contemplating, praying. And they know that Jesus does this. They're probably sitting around going, can you believe? I cannot believe how obdurate, how how." How um, vain and arrogant those Pharisees and Sadducees are. I can't believe, you know, they're standing, can you, this is what happens so often. I can't believe that they can't see. Man, I'm so glad I can see. And that, you ever done that before? People do it all the time. We, people in the church kind of look around and go, I can't believe those people marching here are doing this or they're living this way. I can't, I can't believe. And what we do is we do this. We, we pick out people that we're close to. So I can kind of, you, know, you mind just standing for a second? And I'll go, boy, look how much farther ahead I am than he is. And I'm looking over here and I'm going, boy, look at the distance. And in reality, you're probably over here in front of me. But let's just, you know, assume. But let's just think that Jesus is way out there in the parking lot. And you can just see him a little bit. We don't look that direction. You see, spiritual blindness occurs when we measure. You can thanks. You can, when we measure by people that we're close to. Or we, we like to look around. And humility begins by looking out and seeing how far we are from the one who really sees. And then in that humble state, we kind of bow our knees before God and say, Man, take my eyes off anyone else. I was as blind as they ever were. That's the kind of attitude that brings about the kind of teaching that allows for the Spirit of God to move in your heart, in your family, in your workplace. The warning that he also gives is this. And it's the second one. Not only to see your blindness, but I think he, he moves into this next point in chapter uh, 16, verse 7, where he says, live what you know. This became really kind of clear to me as I was wrestling through this message this week. And, and the way it came to me first when I was writing things down was revelation is to be lived. See your blindness, live what you know. Understand that when you're given revelation, it's to be lived. Revelation is not given... To be stored up. Revelation is not given so that we can go, wow. I, I, yeah, I didn't even go to Bible college, but boy, do I know the Bible. Now, I, I want to share with you something. I don't think that's even revelation in many ways. It's just information about God's Word. Revelation is what God gives you in order that you can live out His life in a way that His Spirit can move. So that it's, it's really a much more relational thing often. He gives you revelation so that you can live in the power and the presence of His Spirit so that you can begin to live with people in loving and gracious and, and non-judgmental and, and in ways where at times you have to speak the truth, but you know because the Spirit's working you to begin to speak the truth in love. You're, you're living this kind of life when He reveals things to you. You, you, you. you know it and you are called to live it. And when you do that, it begins to process itself through you. And it creates great humility because now when you receive revelation, you have to, in faith, actually step out and 
and do something about it. But if you just sit around and get revelation, which you think is revelation, but it's just a lot of information, it comes into your head. And the more it comes into your head, like it did to the Pharisees and Sadducees, it does what Paul says, it just puffs up. And one of the things that happens so often in the body of Christ is we get a lot of knowledge and we get a lot of things in our head. But what Jesus says, if you really want to live in the spirit, see your blindness, live what you know and live it daily. So that that revelation begins to be worked out in your life. And when you do that, it will cause you to come up against things that will really test you. It will make you have to depend on God like you've never, ever experienced before. It will make you have to move out of your comfort zone at times. So 7 and 8, chapter 16, they discussed among themselves after Jesus said this, is it because we didn't bring any bread? When aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you have a little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? I think he's going, you guys, the word little faith is important here. It's appropriate and fitting. It's an insight into the fact that he's given them lots of revelation, but they have little faith to actually live it out. Jesus expects revelation that has been received to be lived. So he speaks to them on a spiritual level, but what do they hear it on? Merely a physical level. They kind of like, like, you can just see the conversation. Peter going, Andrew, I thought I told you to bring those seven basketballs. What do you, who, what do you mean? What do you mean James is supposed to do it? You, they're talking about the physical right away, and Jesus is going, oh, right? You guys don't get it. I'm not talking about physical bread. Verse 9, do you not understand yet? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls you gathered? How it is that you don't understand this? I don't get it. I'm not talking about physical bread. You can almost read between the lines. It's as if Jesus is saying, why are you guys worried about physical bread? How many times do I need to provide for you that their physical needs will be taken care of as you live in the sense of what you know God promises to provide for servants? Can you imagine a person who is asking someone to do work for them, not to provide for their physical needs to get the job done? Can you believe that if God calls you to work and to live in His realm in such a way that you begin to be guided by His Spirit, understanding your blindness, living what you know, do you not understand that God will move the mountains to provide for you? And he's basically saying, if you would just live in what you know, didn't you see that when there were those people there, 5,000, which was really probably about 12,000 people, I just stopped and said, Father, we need some bread. And then when we were in this other place, there were 4,000 people, which really was about 10,000 people, I just stopped and said, Father, we need some bread. How is it you guys don't understand that it doesn't matter if you have the seven basketfuls of bread? I can provide that. Would you live in what you know? Just come to me. And what I find is interesting, if we don't live in what we know, we just we live in what we refuse to know again and again and again until we get the lesson. Anybody ever done that? This past week, I came home from this trip, and you can tell by my voice, and I, you know, I was tired, I was worn out, and I've come down with a little something. And uh, I was getting ready to work on the message on this Wednesday to start writing it, because on Wednesdays I usually start doing some of the writing of it. And, and I had just gotten an email from an elder, and one of the elders said, How you doing? And I, he said, How was the trip? I said, It was great, beneficial, really wonderful, a couple of things. And then I went into, but I'm exhausted. And then I went into about five lines of all the things that I have to do. And by the time I got done writing that, I was overwhelmed. I was more exhausted. And I was living in deep fear. 
And then I tried to write this message. Yeah, it doesn't work. And here I am, beginning to understand something that Jesus has taught me many times over the last year, especially. See, some of you, some of you think that this preaching stuff comes naturally to me. It, it isn't. I'm scared to stand up and say something. And so here I am. I'm just nervous. I'm, I'm, I'm fearful. I got all this stuff going on. And it was like Jesus is tapping me on my shoulder going, I just would like you for the moment, Kevin, to live what you already know. And that is, I will provide what you need to say. Just chill out. I will make sure these things that are before you will be done in the way I want them done. Just trust in me. And I had that opportunity at that moment to just say, okay, God, I just surrender. And I'm going to choose peace. I'm going to actually just say, I trust you. You know, if you want to give me the message when I'm sitting there Sunday morning at that point, great. Just don't do it, God, please. But and as I just relaxed and I just trusted what I already knew, it was like God was saying, you're not going to get to these next levels, these next steps, if you don't live in what you know and what's been revealed. So the real question is, as you see your blindness, which creates a sense of humility, and you begin to live in what you know, which creates a sense of humility, are you, and the question I ask you is this, are you living below today what you know? Is God at your heart kind of knocking and saying, you know what, I think I revealed this once before. I told you as you prayed about this for this person. I've told you as you've prayed about this direction for your life. I've told you, even though it's hard and it's, it feels like you've been in a valley for the last two years, I have told you I will come through for you. All I ask you to do is in peace and trust, walk with me. Live in what you know. And then the third is this. I think you see your blindness You live in what you know. And I think the third warning comes in chapter 16, verses 9 through 11, these same words. And I call it hunger for the Spirit. There is is this desire to hunger for the Spirit, which means to walk in the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit. It means to live a life by faith. It means to so want to see God in His movement. So you begin to live life, not trying to make things God things that aren't, but the Spirit of God has been given to you. And as you begin to understand and hear the Spirit, you begin to know that the Spirit begins to give you things. And you can see, and as you do that, you walk in the Spirit, you trust Him in the Spirit, and He begins to move in you. Now, I am telling you this. God God gives you rules, principles in his word that we're called to live out. And it's very clear. He says, do not lie, do not steal, all kinds of things. Protects boundaries of relationships by saying, wait till you get married to have sex. He talks about making sure that takes place also in the marriage bounds. And you don't look around and you don't envy. There's a whole lot of things that if you live those things, your life will be good. It will be blessed. But there is a life beyond that. There is a life that God gives you because he's given you his Holy Spirit that allows you to live in the principles of that, but also begins to move you into the place where he moves with the Spirit, that as you begin to follow the Spirit, you begin to see Him do things that you couldn't do, that only by the power of God can be done. And there's a place He wants us to live, individually, corporately, that begins to do what He says here, has this hunger, this openness, this desire for the things of the Spirit, so that when God is moving, we can go, that's God, and how do we enter into that? And it may be different than what others are doing. 
That's so important. It goes back to that whole thing of who you're measuring yourself by. Revelation comes by the Spirit, and by the Spirit comes vision. And from vision comes mission. And from those are the values that begin to reveal itself in the tactics of what you do. But what often people do, what often ministers do, is they look around at other churches and go, well, what's their vision? It doesn't matter. You don't need to look at other people's lives. You need to look at God. And God, by His Holy Spirit, will reveal to your heart what He wants you to do. And then He says, when I see you see me moving, enter into it. It's really the Henry Blackaby thing about experiencing God. And so Jesus expected the kind of understanding. So he says to him, and I think this is interesting because this is the hardest part of this whole passage right here. Do you still not understand, verse 9, don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Are you seeing the spiritual significance in the physical things that are happening right in front of you? He says to his disciples, who could have been proud about the fact they're not like the Sadducees, but are missing the very things that Jesus wants them to see in the Spirit. Are you hungry, you guys, to see the work of God? And I think Jesus was actually bothered and pained by the dullness of his disciples. And he was calling them to hunger, to think deeply in the Spirit, to see with discernment that only the Spirit can give. And I think what's interesting as I read this passage of Scripture is that Jesus begins to ask some, um, some interesting questions. And it's not merely about those loaves filling their stomach. It's really about the spiritual things that God was doing through those miracles. Now, just stay with me for a second, okay? I think Jesus was expecting to understand what he was doing in his life and mission through those miracles. I think he was saying, guys... When he did the miracle of the 5,000s, he did that to a bunch of Jewish people. And even in the Greek, in Matthew, it talks about Jewish baskets that were kosher for kosher food. He does this miracle. And of this miracle of the 5,000 among the Jews, Jesus does it. And 12 basketfuls are left over. This is the new Moses giving bread from heaven. This manna that has been given. It is a new people of God being called out of bondage. It is now the 12 tribes who are now the 12 apostles. There are 12 basketfuls left over. There are the 12 people that God has chosen that around his son Jesus would begin a church and this church would begin to move out and fulfill his word. And so then as you go along, he then leaves that 5,000. We're told in Matthew, he goes up to a Gentile area. He's getting away and a a woman, a Gentile woman comes to him and says, my daughter is ill and, and she needs your help. And Jesus says to her, as he's away from the Jews, my job is first to the Jews. That's my responsibility. And she looks at him and goes, but wait a second. Don't even, you know, the Gentile, the word for dogs, for, for, for Gentiles was, was that word. He says, don't even the dogs eat from the breadcrumbs that fall from the table. And Jesus goes, what incredible faith. You see something that even my apostles don't see. So that he leaves there after she is healed, her daughter's healed. He goes to a Jewish area on the, on the um, east side of the lake which is, I mean, a Gentile area on the east side of the lake. 4,000 people are there. He feeds the 4,000, 
and seven basketfuls. That's why he's saying, don't you remember the twelve? Now the seven, he's trying to get them to understand the spiritual significance of the ministry that he has called, been called to in his life. And he says there's seven baskets. Why seven? Because now they begin to see that Jesus was taking twelve, founding a new people of God under them that would go into the world, this Gentile world, and with these seven being the fullness of all God's people would come about through this ministry. And he was helping them to see this through his very acts and he's going, don't you get it? Now you go, that's really hard to get. Right? But not if you're walking with Jesus and He's given you His Holy Spirit. He is calling us people, elders, leaders, to a higher level of spiritual understanding than this church than I've ever known. And it's not about you or me. It's about God and the people that He has in His heart and mind to reach. I don't know what it looks like, but I know that God is at work. And He's calling us to this. And so this hunger for God's Spirit, this walking in faith, this calling to be in step with the Spirit, is the life that you see lived out. So you see a guy like Abraham, and I was saying in the first service, the most um, essential spiritual organ. You know, you have senses physically. The most essential spiritual sense is the ears. Abraham was called. Um, faith comes by what? There's something about being in the presence of God being immersed in His Word, being in the community of God, and then having hearts that listen, that are humble, because we're blind, we need His help to see, that just try to live out what we know, and then we hunger for God's Spirit to speak to us and say, God, help me understand what you're doing. Give me the ability, like those disciples didn't have, but please, would you be merciful and gracious to us, to me individually, that I might see it and walk in it. Does this track with you? This is, this is deep teaching, folks. This is deep teaching. This is not like five practical steps to have a happy marriage. But I can promise you this, if you walk in this, you will. Because you know what this is about? I'm, I'm tired of all the practical little helps. This is about the Spirit of God transforming your whole spirit. And when your whole spirit is changed, what happens in here transforms the whole area out here. It touches everything. And so Jesus is, is, is calling his disciples to say, don't you get the 12? Don't you get the seven? Doesn't that make sense? Otherwise you read this and you go, well, yeah, he's just telling them, you know, I'll take care of your physical needs. No, he's saying, if you watch my ministry, you will see the move of the Spirit. And not only see the move of the Spirit, you'll see what the Spirit is doing. I was sharing with the first service. I didn't know really, I, I wasn't sure how God wanted me to end this message. So I've got about four different conclusions. So, should I give them all? No. <clears throat> but as I was preaching it, the first service, this conclusion came to me. I had all forgot about it, in fact. It's really the last point in my message. Because there's three warnings, but the very last sentence or so in this passage of Scripture is an encouragement, a great comfort to me and to you. Jesus, in, in, in this passage of Scripture in verse 11, says, How is it you don't understand? I was talking to you about the bread. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. In verse 12, listen to this. And it doesn't say it in the other Gospels. It's just in this Gospel. This one, there's the follow-through here of Jesus, the teacher who is loving and compassionate and patient and so willing to work with people, even if they have the lightest, slightest, littlest faith. You don't have to have, You can have faith like my little bitty faith. 
You can be like me who, who misses these lessons. He would say, man, you've been preaching for how many years and you still, what's wrong with you? And I look at you and I go, I bet you there's lessons you, you've been kind of fighting for a long time. But here's what's so cool about it. This just moves my heart. God is so gracious and good. He says, if you have this faith of, that's the size of what? A mustard seed. Little faith. He doesn't go, you little faith people, get out of the boat. I'm recruiting, starting over. He looks at you and me and he says, if you just have that little bit of faith and you have an open and willing heart, you're willing to see your blindness. You're willing to live in what you know, even though you blow it a lot of times. And you're willing to hunger after my spirit that you'll move into the deeper things of God where you begin to see the spirit move and enter into that. And and don't worry about what all the other churches, all the other people, all the other things are going on. But look at me and me alone. I love this. Then, verse 12, they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. I go, there is hope. If this is the first time you walked into this church, you don't know a thing about God. There is so much hope if your heart just says, I want him. There is so much hope for you, even if you've been in this church For years and years, or you've been a follower for years and years, and you feel like you've blown it, there is hope. Then they understood. Jesus, if you're willing, will give you insight. God will do that for us as a body. I said in the first service, I say in this one, are you with me? Are we going to do that? God has a great and mighty thing he's doing. And he just wants us to enter into it. He wants us to repent, to be humble, to listen, and to say, God, I'm ready. Sign me up. I'm scared, but I want to be a part of it. I see hands saying that. If you want to, I mean, you don't have to, but if you want to, in this close right here as I pray, just lift your hand and say, God, I'm I'm a part of this here. Father, this is, uh, I think, a historic spiritual moment in you know, our life here. And this is something to treasure. You're here. You're present. We love you. God, in a moment, we're going to take an offering. I would ask that instead of seeing ourselves put a few dollars or maybe even sacrifice, put a lot in it, whatever it is, that we would see something even deeper. And that is that we'd almost ourselves want to jump in that plate and say, here I am. Take all of me. It might be hard for you guys for the ushers to carry those plates, but it doesn't matter. Jesus, you love this. You're smiling. We just offer ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen.